The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me yet again is founder of Car Dealer Magazine, James Baggett. James, how are you? How has your week been? Man, very good, thanks, John. Uh, it's been a crazy week for me because I spent half of it on the water and half of it sat on my desk. As you know, I do the lifeboat, and uh, it's been you, you rarely mention it. I rarely mention it. It's been mad this week. We've had it's been as the sun's come out. People take to the water, as you know, and it becomes a little bit crazy. So I've I just thought I'd use the podcast as an opportunity to say thank you to everybody who I've been either on the phone to or due to have a meeting with that I haven't I've either had to hang up on at, right at the last minute or not appear on those meetings because I've been somewhere else. So thank you to those people. But apart from that, John, it's been um, it's been really busy. There's been lots happening. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, and I'm looking forward to diving into our stories. How's your mm. week been? Uh, my week has been fine. I've been enjoying the summer that's suddenly arrived um, at the very last minute. So that's been enjoyable. Um, yes, uh, I my mother has collected a new car, which I went to go and do with her. So I can finally stop talking about that. So uh, a shout out to Stephen Eagle, if he's listening. The Canterbury dealer is excellent. Excellent. Uh, beyond that, uh, yes, usual bits and pieces for me. Um, but sadly, not out in the sun or on the water. Um, and I'd just like to say, if you do get called out during this podcast, I will declare myself the winner by default. Uh, I think that's probably wise because it's probably highly likely to happen. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's get started before. It yeah, I'll I'll move swiftly on before that actually happens. Um, so our guest this week is a man who knows a thing or two about automotive data. It's Rupert Pontin from One Auto API. Welcome, Rupert. Hi, John. Hi, James. How are you? I'm I'm very good, thank you. Very good indeed. Enjoying the sun, as you said. Nice Excellent. to nice to see you, Rupert. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, hasn't it? And I think in a in a former guise, it was would have yes. been. That's right. Actually, I was just thinking about it. It was uh, it's probably eighteen months or so ago, probably when I was uh, still with Kazana before Kazana was sold. So yeah, it's been a while and a bit, but um, I, I'm uh, I'm pleased to be back. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're up to now, then. So One Auto API is um, interesting. I, I've been there almost a year to the day, um, and uh, I'm in the role of, uh, of a commercial director. Uh, One Auto API essentially provide a data platform, a simple data platform that uh, allows people to integrate data from various different sources using a single API and just opening various different endpoints for the data that they want. Um, it's a very simple, transparent way of getting hold of uh, data from some of our data partners, such as Autotrader, Experian, Cap, Brago. So there's various different data sources that people can uh, can access just using that API. And uh, yeah, it's been a really good year. Um, it's been really hard work. It's like the beginning of Kazana was 
the company is is new. We 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 started uh, I think in July last year, um, so uh, it's been a great journey. We're doing some some wonderful work with some uh, big industry names, um, and uh, at the same time, the platform is a self serve platform, so that allows uh, developers from foreign countries or from the UK to simply sign up short term contract and access data very very quickly. And I think that probably surprised me at how many people we have that just pop up out of nowhere that, that happen to be doing some form of all, of work using automotive data and uh, they, they just plug themselves in and and start using data it's um it's quite rewarding and uh, actually makes my job much easier give me an example of of how your your clients use use that data data very wide term isn't it so i'll be interested to see yeah. how they come like how, how does it relate to to our listeners well, we, we can go from um, the uh, from one extreme to another. So if you were perhaps a, a car buying service, of which we have uh, quite a few customers, um, the car buying service is all about um, uh, identifying a vehicle and pricing a vehicle. So we provide the data in the background that will facilitate all the different parts of that journey. So you would start with a, a VRM going into uh, the system um, uh, on, on the internet. You'd put in your registration number uh, and that would immediately, uh, we would immediately fire back the details of the vehicle we then have uh, perhaps the next stage would be something called a lead validation which is a service that um, identifies whether a vehicle's been uh, used as a taxi or whether it's been used in salvage uh, or sold in a salvage sale uh, and the vehicle then the car buying service would decide whether they wanted to uh, go ahead but buying that car or throw it out at that stage it would then go through various different iterations about perhaps an inventory augmentation from uh, uh, to, to give full details of the vehicle any options or so on there um, and then you'd get through to the valuation stage where it would give a price which we can provide a price from as i said various different uh, uh, pricing uh, specialists so it, it's it's a very simple way of being able to access data from different people but just from one central source um so the, you know the system the, the the customer's system our client system isn't having to to communicate with different companies they can just do it all straight through us and uh, yeah very good very robust platform um so that that's one example of it i mean we we also have uh, customers from outside the, the potentially outside the automotive industry example of which we had a, a tent manufacturing company that uh, needed data to say how much weight will go on the roof of this particular vehicle again driven by vrm um, mm. we have a company that uh, make pet crates uh, for the boots of vehicles and they want data that says the boot space in a, a bmw 3 series touring is this by this and uh, and uh, therefore they can de determine what size crate to make and whether it will suit a, a, a customer so um yeah really varied um uh, uses interesting are you still as i remember when we used to speak when you were at kazana we spoke a lot about used car pricing and uh, i mean you, you you provide a huge amount of insight into that are you still as close to that sort of data or or is that less of what what you do now and, no. and if you are slightly further away from it is it something you still play close attention to oh it's absolutely something i play close attention to um i mean we as part of the process, I mean, one of the really good things about this job for me is rather than sitting with a company such as Kazana or when I was with Glasses before and people would ask, you know, what's the value of a vehicle? What what, what's, what sort of uh, valuation data should I use? I would have to have them said, well, Glasses is best or Kazana is best. Where I'm sitting now, I get to see all the different data providers and I can see um, and understand a little bit more about their methodology uh, and see in one block, you know, what the different prices are from market check auto trader cap um and so forth um so whilst i'm not actually researching the market and
in in depth and and looking after teams that were doing that i am still very i am still pretty close to the market and and uh, and make sure i keep a tab on what's going on with the market because of course if i were to go to a customer i need to be able to recommend the best data source for them so you know a smaller dealer might not need uh, a certain type of valuation may need another type i still need to be able to recommend to them what is best for their use Yes, it's, and what do you think is going to be be happening with with used car prices going forward? I and mean, we're see, we're seeing a very mixed picture, and I'm sure we'll get onto this when we come onto the stories. You've yeah. got you know cap on the trade side saying they're they're dropping quite quite rapidly in the last couple of months. Also, yeah. Trader reported this week that they're up slightly. I mean, what what's your gut feeling when 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 you look at all those different data sources? What's your gut feeling on what's happening? So this is interesting because um, I think that we've got a situation where we have still got good retail demand and we still have a shortage of used cars. And therefore, when you're looking at auto trader pricing, when you're looking at Brago pricing, you're in a situation where they're working from retail back. And as a result, I think the retail values are still very strong. Um, there is a caveat to that. I'm sure we'll come on to that. And that's called EV and hybrid. Um, but when you're looking at the trade environment, I think that certain types of vehicle are starting to see um, a, a decline. And that's the, the, the potential uh, difference between looking at retail back valuations and you're looking at, at cap, which I know they have retail data, but they, they tend to be working from a trade figure upwards. And I think that some of the data they're seeing from some of the auctions has seen a decline. And of course, the other thing you need to remember is that it, it's it's summertime. Yeah. And so retail sales have probably slowed a little bit, but the retail pricing is still strong. But when you then look at the, the, the volume of cars in the trade, it, it will have increased slightly. And therefore, for some vehicles, vehicles that there will be a drip back in pricing but i don't think we've got a, a situation where we're heading towards any form of price crash i think what we the industry has become used to over the past few years is the price inflation that we've seen and i think that that has now gone and we're just going to return to um the the what one might call the real world where where you do see a, a general level of depreciation on on most vehicles the really interesting bit is evs and hybrids mm. Um, because that is a different picture entirely. Uh, and it's really difficult to, to determine what's going to happen with EV pricing. I think that we've seen the big drops because um, the, the EVs sat at a higher pricing level than, it, than ICE uh, vehicles. And it was always going to happen that they would need to come down to a kind of price parity. Because as a consumer, there would always be that question, why am I paying five, 10 grand more for an EV? Irrespective of what mileage or range it's doing. It's just that that psychological thing that says, why is that so much more expensive? Mm. Well, that was because of scarcity. Now we're seeing more come to the market. So it's natural that they should come down. So I don't think they're going to go a huge way further. But the industry still needs to be uh, cognizant of the fact that the consumer doesn't fully understand the way they should buy and use an EV. And I still think the industry is not brilliant at helping the consumer to understand what car is right for them. Mm. Yeah, I'm, well, we'll definitely get on to some of those topics, I'm sure, as we do our stories. So, uh, John, should we move on to those before we use up everything that we've got planned? Yes, <laughs> sorry. let's do that. So if you haven't listened before, James and I have chosen our favourite stories from the Car Dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, and we're going to have a chat about each story as we go through. At the end, Rupert gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can X... Ugh, at Cardiola Mag, and let us know if you think we've missed anything. Uh, I believe I won last week somehow. You did. 
not quite <laughs> sure how. Um, so I'm going to have to try and choose my, do I tailor my story to what I think is interesting, my first one, or do I, or what I think is the most interesting, or do I tailor it to values? No, I'm going to go with what I think is interesting. Um, so I'm starting with Sayat. Um, and yeah, um, so this is news that, Sayat will soon be no more in terms of manufacturing cars. So Sayat, as we know, uh, to give you a brief history of Sayat, Sayat was a Spanish manufacturer. Well, that please do, John. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever heard of them. Um, but Sayat, we've we've been um, assuming and making predictions over the last two years that Sayat will simply disappear and be absorbed by Cupra and Cupra will take over as the uh, dominant brand because that is fundamentally the vibe we were getting from Seat and Volkswagen Group wasn't it they were not really pumping any production into Seat they were putting new models under the Cooper brand but no new ones under the Seat brand um so we've been saying for ages well this is obviously this I'm sure this is happening this this is definitely happening and you know VW will say oh well no Seat remains an important part of the VW group uh, whatever Except now it doesn't because they have now changed their minds and actually Cupra will take over from Seat, says company chairman Thomas Schaefer at the Munich Motor Show. Um, so he told the uh, those present at the Motor Show, the future of Seat is Cupra. So, I mean, that's quite a quite an obvious statement, isn't it? Um, and the group is planning to ramp up investment in the performance brand. So the prediction is things like the Leon will just become the Cupra Leon, which, of course, confusingly, it is both the Seat Leon and the Cupra Leon at the minute. Mm. Um, the Ibiza simply won't appear again. Um, and as for the Seat brand itself, what they will possibly do, well, they're, they're talking about, and I quote, finding a new role for Seat. So they won't just bin the brand off completely, but they'll, what they'll probably do is turn it into an e-mobility brand. So there's already a Seat electric scooter Close yes. around, isn't there? So it will probably become that sort of thing. Um, I just think it's an interesting story because we bang on about on this podcast not losing brand heritage, yeah, um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, particularly with regards to a particular British manufacturer, which we won't bring up. Um, but it, when it comes to something like this, they have looked at the the figures and gone, well, people are clearly more interested in Cooper than they are in Seat. Why don't we just chin off Sayer. and mm. you have to think well is perhaps that is just the best thing to do then in this instance where they found that one has much more brand appeal well I, go, John, with the, go with the maths i've thought long and hard about this this week because um i, I was quite and i know we've been talking about it for quite some time but i was actually quite shocked when this when this story came out it was autocar that broke the story mm. um which we which we picked up on um and the first line was pretty much the first line of our uh, of the story was say is dead uh mm. that was the story that came out from um from that show. Cooper. And yeah, and we Coop, Coop, yeah, long live Cooper indeed. Um, not long after we published that story, we had a phone call from the Sayat PR person. There is still one, um, and she said, um, "Sayat is not dead. It's just going to be um, reimagined or something similar." You know, one of those key buzzwords from manufacturers that they like to use. Mm -hmm. um, it will be used in the future. So they didn't want this story to go out that it was that it was dead. And they said that some of the comments from uh, Thomas Schaefer had been lost in translation were her words. Um, 
But uh, I think he, he was speaking trans- English. But anyway, he, he, he was. Yeah. <laughs> as it transpired, I mean, it's. I mean, in all, in all intents and purposes, Sayer not on cars is is the Sayer brand d- dead, isn't it? In when it comes to automotive retail and automotive manufacturing, and I just thought this was. I think this was a really strange decision to make. Just thinking back to the last few years, I had dinner with um, with a, um, a a dealer group boss who represented Sayer, and he was saying it was his best brand. He was doing absolutely fantastically well with, with, with Sayer. They were selling a techers like they were going out of fashion. They were doing incredible... And they had lots of other Volkswagen um, and, uh, group brands in their portfolio, and Sayer was the one that was really performing. So, And just the downhill decline since that, that conversation a few years ago to where we are now... It's mm. it's of Volkswagen Group's own making because mm. there was a time that they just kept on pushing Cooper, wasn't there? You couldn't yeah. buy Sayat products, but you and you couldn't really buy ID threes for some time, but you could always buy the Cooper Born, couldn't you? They were really yes. pushing that's it. right. And their argument for that was well, we can't launch a new brand and not have anyone able to buy the cars. So of course that's what they concentrated on, to the detriment of, as you say, Sayat. And but there's my... been an investment probably in Sayat models themselves, haven't they? Ones that aren't, you know, Cooper have had the born and they've had the formenta formenta yes. um, and of course the new leon but then so is you know so is say so they've not say it hasn't had a lot of love no it? but then i was just again thinking about it a little bit deeper i was thinking well why would they make this decision and, and I, I sort of only conclusion i could come to was that the cars that the say cars were actually good weren't they the, the attacker was a good mm. uh, and is and is it? And the Turaco was a, was was a good S, large SUV, um, and I just can't help thinking that it was starting. To, it was cannibalizing some of their other brands, stuff like Skoda, stuff like Audi, stuff like Volkswagen, and maybe they thought, well, we can't have too many products in the same space, mm. and we need to thin that out a little bit. And that's the only conclusion I could come to of why they would make that decision. Mm. Yes, because it's it's another say it is another volume brand in the alongside VW and Skoda, isn't it? Yeah. Ruben, what do you think? Uh, I'm I'm slightly confused by this as well, uh, and I share a lot of what um, of what you've both said. Uh, they they talked. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. They talked about uh, the heritage of a brand being important, and we understand that the heritage. It, it took them a long time to build Sayat and to build that brand up into something that people actually wanted. If you remember the very early, gosh, what were the Ibethas and goodness knows from from years back? They they weren't yeah. brilliant cars but so they did a good job of developing that brand so i'm then confused because you have them saying that they want to move to cooper drop set and yet on the other side of it with volkswagen they are dropping the id brand Mm. and turning to um golf polo and so forth so known vehicles so uh perhaps there is a lot to be said for the for what you were saying there james that the, the there was a cannibalization from um the the other brands um maybe vw did suffer maybe that's why they're uh, uh, and they're trying to bring back those names to generate more sales in the vw environment but uh, yeah i am confused by it yeah, I'm I'm incredibly confused by it. And I am going to roll on to our next story because you, you you've mentioned it there and it does fit in very, very nicely with this. Because it's obviously this has all come out from it's been the Munich Motor Show this week. Um the age-old um time of journalists sat down with with manufacturer bosses trying to tease out a story and then not say anything. But this time <laughs> Volkswagen clearly had some things to say, didn't they? Um so these two stories have come out as a result of that. Um Rapidly on the heels of that sales story was the was the story that they're going to ditch this uh, the ID in the GTX brands Volkswagen that is and keep Golf 
Tiguan and GTI names into the into the electric future. And I think this is this is where why this story is so confusing about the set out point because the, the the ID brand and the GTX brand clearly hasn't worked for them. So why would you then? They've obviously seen in one part their huge organisation that actually what we do need to do is go back to those brand names that got heritage and that people know and love. Um, but over in over in Sayat, they're doing the complete opposite. It's like one hand's not talking to the doesn't know what the other hand's doing. It's very very strange. I have um, opinions. Can I offer them to you? Please do, John. I actually think I I read I read this story, and uh, we should say so. VW's argument for retiring the ID. Uh, brands as you say is that they brought them in because in in this strange transitional era that we're in they didn't want to suddenly launch an electric golf even though they did briefly and it was yes and they don't they want to differentiate at the moment keep the golf polo etc as all ice and plug-in hybrid etc and with these fancy new evs keep it separate and perhaps, you know, what their argument is that as time goes on, obviously, the golf ice option will disappear, won't it? They'll stop making them. Um, and at that point, they will transition them back onto uh, being electric. So I can I can sort of see why they've got these ID things, because they needed to um, differentiate them and not confuse all these customers. I mean, one thing he says is, for example, so talking about the id2 i want to say yes. yeah, yeah the id2 which is we would call it the polo but it's not the polo uh their argument is well the id2 is probably going to be two ten thousand pounds more expensive than a polo so we don't want to call it a polo because everyone walking in expecting a new polo will see the price tag and go oh, how much and you know it's it's a completely different product in a way um so i thought it's i thought it's very interesting i do get what you mean there are um yeah this this does seem to be the opposite of the Sayat thing where yeah. Volkswagen is rigidly hanging on to its brand that said Sayat is a very different proposition to VW isn't it you know the VW Golf goes back to whatever it is 1970 something Sayat in 1980 were making rebadged Fiat Pandas so Sayat isn't quite such a a strong brand to hold on to is it hmm. um but anyway I thought I thought the ID being killed off was interesting I don't I don't know if what's as you say the ID badge hasn't worked for them. I don't know if it's the ID badge that hasn't worked for them or the products haven't worked. I think that's where they've really fallen over. I think the ID3 could be called a golf and everyone would still be up in arms about the fact that the infotainment is a bit wobbly. Yes. You know, you can't change the temperature when you're in the dark because none of the controls light up and it's got weird touch sensitive steering and all this sort of stuff. I think that would still annoy vw purist regardless of whatever the name was i suppose it is a nice way of resetting isn't it and actually putting mm. that stuff behind and saying, oh yeah the, you know that yeah it might not have worked but that was the early stage and then doing yeah. it properly for want of a better word with with the golf and the and the brands they've got rupert what do you think on this one i mean i know you've i know you've mentioned it but yeah. were, were, you, were you shocked um i was a bit shocked actually because i thought that the the From my perspective, I thought the differentiation with the ID brand uh, moving to electric vehicles was actually quite good. Um, And, you know, it's not been very long ago that they they launched ID7. Um, And if they knew this was coming, why would they launch it as an ID7? But here's my confusion, okay? And I hear exactly what John was saying about the Polo and the price differential. Um, So, uh, and that making it a little bit difficult for ID2 to become a Polo. So what are we saying here? Are we saying that an ID3 and an ID4 will become Golfs? 
Is that right? Well, mm. argue three will become a goal. Right. Okay. Well, so I'm now confused because um, won't we have on sale at the same time a golf, golf, and a golf ID three? Well, I think I think that's sort of the idea is when the golf, golf goes, yeah. um, the ID three will become the golf. Or to put it to put it in VW speak, the golf yeah. line lineage will continue and the ID three will die, and it's just the golf will become an electric one, I suppose, um, because they're two. You know, you take an ID3 and a Golf, they are quite different propositions, aren't they? Yeah, they are. In the powertrain. So it'll yeah. be, yeah, I can't quite see how they're going to try and merge. You know, like ID3 customers will come yeah. along and the Golf will be a slightly more sane version of that, I would imagine. And Golf yeah. customers will get something that's radically more yeah. futuristic. So that is going to be a tricky one for them. It is. And that, that raises questions. What what does an ID7 become? Mm. Um, and hang on a second. We've just launched a new Passat Estate. So do you, see, do you see what I'm saying here? So I am yeah. confused by how they're going to make this work. Um, but I, I, I do understand then their, their desire to go back to, to, you know, heritage names, golf, polo, and keep those names in place. But it's just a bit confusing for me. Um, and I don't think I'll be the only one that's confused by it. I think they probably need one of these uh, brand consultancy companies that uh, JLR obviously employed to come in there and give them a house of their yeah. own. Uh, house well, possibly, of possibly yeah. they've been talking to too many brand consultants. Uh, <laughs> oh, that is confusing. I'm glad, a... they, I'm glad they got rid of the GTX brand, though, because all I can ever think of is, <laughs> is Alan, yes. Part Alan Partridge's jacket at the funeral <laughs> with GTX <laughs> on the back of it. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, there. Right, John, I'll let you move us on. Okay. Um, and now to VW Group. Um, <laughs> um, so, again, more news from, one assumes, the Munich Motor Show here, which is Skoda, the one brand we haven't talked about so far, apart from Audi, have, they remain committed to switching to agency sales. As Boss says, the model is the name of the game, to quote ABBA. Um, so the this particular the agency sales model will be introduced for electric cars in the coming months. Um, and as far as Skoda is concerned, that is the future. And they will gradually transition to that. Well, it doesn't sound like they're going to bring it in for ICE vehicles. This is how they're going to sort of dip their toe in the water. But presumably, as ICE vehicles die out, um, it will become the main thing. But they, they have sort of uh, given the usual platitudes of... Um, how important dealers are um, and the agency sales will be just as profitable to them. And CEO Klaus Zelmer, it's a German name for you, um, says that he still wants, and I quote, human beings selling to human beings, which I imagine will continue to be a thing until chat GPT becomes sentient and wants an ENIAC. So <laughs> good news, that will continue. James, thoughts? Oh, uh, well, I mean... The the whole agency thing. I I got tagged on a few posts on on LinkedIn this week. Uh, it was a Mercedes Benz advert uh, for one of their one of their models, which was eight and a half thousand pounds off and zero percent interest uh, interest free finance. Uh, and someone said, if any if if anyone needs proof that agency isn't working, it's deals like this. Sorry, so repeat that to me. Which car was that for eight and a half thousand off? I, I I think it was a it was a it was one of their electric models. Possibly had a B in it. I I can't really okay. quite, can't quite remember. I have to try and find it in a moment. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was just it, it, it does sort of smack of desperation when you're doing those sorts of deals um, to try and get trying to get people into into your showrooms into your digital showrooms. Um, and I think 
the industry um, is in this huge transition phase. We knew the Skoda things, Skoda thing was happening when we did that piece of research, the survey of all the all the manufacturers a few months back. Um, they did say that they would be they would be doing it at the end of this year. We've now actually got some some firm data on that. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it's a little bit cheeky the way the Volkswagen Group are saying, "Oh yeah, it's only for it's only for our electric cars." And actually, they they called me up after I published the story and said, oh, "You haven't said it's only for our electric cars." Um, you know, we're, we're we're still doing normal dealers, still not doing a normal dealer agreement for the ice vehicles. And I said, "Yeah, I get that, but your future is electric. It's been mandated by the government. You've said you're going down that down that route. So th- this is obviously going to be the way that you sell cars in the future." So, yeah, I was. Um, I think there's a lot to play out, John, yet with the uh, with, with the agency model, um, and the the dust is going to take a long time to settle. Rupert, what what were your what are your thoughts on agency? Mm, yeah, um, agency. Um, it doesn't confuse me. Uh, I think probably it slightly frustrates me because I feel that the dealer groups are are being put in a position that they don't want to be put into, and I think that um, it, I think there is an element of of uh, a, almost a drop in the customer service. Um, because uh, the 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 dealers aren't able to uh, make the or create deals that will suit certain types of customers that they, they, they are restricted. So um, I think you're absolutely right. There's a long way to go with agency. Uh, is agency working or not? I'm not sure. Are you? Mm, oh, working for who? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so um, it'll be very interesting to see whether I mean you, you look at some brands, Suzuki and and Dale White saying uh, absolutely not, we are absolutely sticking to current um, uh, position. Uh, he's a very um, forthright and experienced person, as is as is the brand. Um, <clears throat> we may not be as big as some of the others, but uh, I think there's a lot more to come with this. Um, doing it with EVs to start with is is uh, is one way of gently introducing it. Yes. Rather than saying "boom, here it is, boys and girls, this is how it is," uh, so perhaps in that respect, um, the the VW Group are just dipping the toe in the water. Maybe that is the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, the I, I think that the, the dealers I speak to are sort of everybody's very happy to point out these sorts of things, like these sorts of deals. And I found it now on LinkedIn, John. It was for the EQC, zero um, percent APR and eight thousand six hundred pound saving. Um, but the, the dealers are very happy to point these out privately to me. I often get phone calls. Have you seen this? Have you heard this? Um, and the, the the word on the street is that the Mercedes dealers are, are not having a good time of it. It's not going. It's not going very well. They're not hitting the hitting the sales numbers that they hoped. But you speak to the manufacturer, and we did for for a feature recently, and they they're shouting about how how great it is. So I think there's, there's going to be a lot to play out for for quite some time. And as more manufacturers transition to agency, we're just going to get more and more of these sort of these distress offers that that, that this mercedes deal clearly is um as they try to win win customers into these online showrooms yeah yeah i would agree with that i was just having a look and see where um mercedes uh new car registrations are at they're at a similar sort of level to last year aren't they so they haven't um they haven't seen a big drop off in it but i think no but i think they've been pushing a lot into fleet um, to try 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 and maintain those numbers. Uh, I think the retail demand has has certainly dropped off. But we'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. 
see model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, color preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Right, John, shall I move us move us away from agency to something yes, else? Yes, please. Okay, I will. Um, and that is Lookers. Um, the um, deal for Lookers to be taken over by Global Auto Holdings, the business set up by the uh, Canadian, uh, Canadian Alpha Auto Group, was approved this week, uh, late on September the uh, the fifth. Um, that was Wednesday. Um, the deal went through for one thirty pence per share. There are still a few T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted on the on the contracts, and they think that deal is going to be sorted by the um, by the qu- by quarter four of this year. So actually, not long now, and we'll see another listed dealer group disappear from um, from the stock exchange. Thus, at the same time withdrawing many sources of a good news stories for car dealer magazine um <laughs> but the uh, deal deal went through at five. 500- why they do it actually yeah it's obviously why they do yeah uh deal went through at 504 million million pounds um where the shareholders at that court meeting this week backed back that deal um and those rumored offers from other other big players like Lith- lithia from from america didn't come didn't come to fruition so it's uh, the the lookers team will be breathing a sigh of relief. I'm sure that that deal's gone through and that the shareholders backed it. But I must admit, I, I do think it's a bit of a shame. Really, I'm I'm going to miss them from the from the stock market. It's nice to see they've got a very interesting portfolio of brands, and they gave a really good take on what was happening out there in the market. And there's actually not many left now, is there? Virtue, Pendragon, some of the um, Motorpoint, Caffins. Not very many left on on the on the stock market after Marshalls and uh, and Lookers disappeared, which I think is a shame. Well, you can always just ring them up and ask. I'm sure they're going. Yeah, <laughs> how's it going? Can I have uh, your detailed accounts for the last quarter, please? Because I, I need <laughs> yeah, some no stuff. worries. Yeah, we'll uh, have them curry it over. <laughs> oh, dear. Rupert, it's been a bit of a saga this one, isn't it? It's gone backwards and forwards. It was on, yeah. it was off. It's back on again. Now it's done. Um, do, you, do you agree it's a bit of a shame to see them leave? I do think it's a shame to see them leave. Um, I mean, it's taken a long while to get it through. Um, I think I was perhaps a little surprised uh, when the first offer was made. Um, uh, maybe naively, I didn't see that coming for Lucas at this particular point. Um, but um, hey, yeah, you're right. It's a shame to see another one go. There aren't many left, uh, aren't many left are there? No. Yeah, I was... Um... Dis- disappointed to see, but nice for for the Lookers team to have that deal done and dusted. Yeah, and I think I think things are not uh, particularly easy when you are listed on the stock exchange, are they? I don't think you know if you're if you're private, things are a little bit easier, um, as Mark Lavery has been. Yes, it's tell yeah, us. Yeah, obviously another one that disappeared in 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 mm. in, in recent memory. Mm. But- Right, John, that's my Lookers News Bulletin over. Lovely. Anything more for Volkswagen FM or? Uh, Well, (laughs) um, electric car FM, I can go back on to. Let's talk about some values. So um, I sort of neglected to bring this up because it seems like we are constantly talking about EVs and their enormous price drops. Mm. Um, But we've had some up-to-date data from CapHPI, uh, which has shared with us the top 20 price falls 
um, of electric cars. I mean, I assume this is the top 20 price falls of all cars. It's just they happen to be electric. Is that right? No, this was just oh. electric cars. But I think, as a, as you rightly pointed out, they are all EVs anyway. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't say please exclude. Um, please okay. Exclude. Yeah. Fair enough. So we've got this in two different ways. Percentage drops and money drops. Would you like to guess the largest... Uh, monetary drop what's lost the most money in the last year this is october 2022 to now unfair of me to play this game john because i wrote the story it is i'll ask rupert what do you think (laughs) who's on the story now i can see (laughs) rich i am surprised to see that it is the say at me Mm, well that's yes that's the biggest in percentage drops yes okay okay in financial terms uh, the biggest drop, it, I would have thought, um, it's going to be something. I, I would say, and I'm not looking at the list. Um, it, I do know some of the cars that are on there. It's got to be um, either a Jaguar or a Mercedes product. Oh well, you were you were close. The EQC is number two on right, the list right. with a twenty thousand pound drop. So the now, EQC that James mentioned there with an eight thousand pound price drop brand new and 0% finance is down £20,000 over a year. So that's quite a painful drop. But worse than that is the Audi e-tron GT, which is the sort of Porsche Taycan without a Porsche badge on it, isn't it? Yes. £27,000 drop. I mean, that is a £100,000 car, we should point out. And this yeah. is in 11 months. So this in, is... Yeah. Yeah. This The, the question I had and, and the, the, the question to, to, to Darren and his team to get this data was... What since the start of the price falls to now, which were the worst offenders? You know, which ones have dropped the most? Mm. So I just I think it's staggering to when you look at those figures. I know we've talked about it a lot, but for a car to lose 50% of its value in 11 months, that's is, to say at me. Yeah, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? I mean, it really? we can't really do justice to these figures talking about them here because there's a list of 20 cars in front of me, 20 electric cars, all down more than 33% in 11 mm. months. And that is a whole wide range of things from a Seat Me, Renault Zoe, Nissan Leaf, BMW i3. I mean, it's every, it's almost every electric car you can imagine is down a lot of money in 11 months. So it doesn't seem to be related to what they are particularly. I mean, there's some variance, isn't it? I don't quite understand why the Seat Me has dropped quite so much. No, I don't either. But uh... there we are, because that's 50% and the next one down is a 44% with the Zoe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not brilliant. They- no, and the issue with this is it's the much bigger picture, and it's the fact that people read these sorts of pieces. They they understand they they know this is happening, and that in itself puts people off going down the EV route. But mm. I think the bigger bigger issue with this is customers go into uh, into a new car showroom, and maybe ones that do want to transition to EV and do want to make that choice, they go into a dealership, and they're shown the two finance agreements mm. one for one for the petrol version, one for the electric. And because those future values are so different in the future for the balloon payment, they are so much more expensive to buy. And at mm. a time when there's a cost of living crisis still in play and and, and pe- people are reading these negative stories about EVs, it makes that conversation very, very difficult to have with these people. And I can see why the, the, the retail demand in particular has dropped off for EVs like it has. Yeah. Mm. And the other the other difficult thing is when we've got quite a few people, I would imagine now, 11 months after the initial price drop for EVs, um, they're coming to the end of their PCPs on perhaps their Renault Zoe or whatever it is that they took out 24 months ago or six months ago. And the guaranteed future value is 
probably not really the guaranteed Gone. future value anymore. Yeah, there's no. no equity left in it for them. Obviously, they don't have to put up that extra cash, but the finance company is out a lot of money and there's going to be an influx of cars coming into the market that are not worth what they perhaps imagined they were. No, hmm. and the, the the bigger issue with that, John, is that um, PCPs were always sort of designed, weren't they, for for hmm. for future custom. So that when the dealer when when the customer came back into that dealership, they had to go back because the the, the agreement had come to an end. But when they, if they can have a conversation, say, "Yep, uh, well, we've got you've got two thousand pounds equity in that car, which we can roll onto your onto your next model. The next model is X, and it's a little bit more a month, but it's got this nice new tech. It's hmm. a much easier cost to change." conversation than it is where if a customer's coming back in and going unfortunately your car's worth less than your, your your guaranteed future value good news is you don't have to pick up the tab but you have no money left have you got yep. another two thousand pounds to put into your next car well people and it's a very very awkward conversation and it makes selling that car very very difficult the next time and you can see why people go well hang on a minute i'm not doing ev again now i'm going to mm. go for a petrol instead um which is why i think we're seeing this we're seeing this flip Rupert, you you must have seen this many times, and, and those sorts of they are very difficult conversations for dealers to have, aren't they? Hugely difficult conversation, and you hit the nail on the head there. Where where you know you you've got to that point where there's no equity equity left. You're going for your next vehicle, and uh, by the way, sir, it, it isn't you know three hundred pound a month for the same same car. Uh, we need two grand up front, and it's going to be five hundred pound a month for the same car because because of interest rate rises. Yeah, yeah interest rate rises. The guarantee and the value dropping. Yeah, the, the, the future value on it not being as good. So that's one of the reasons that we need to see the cost new parity of EVs drop to the similar as ICE, because we, we will then see a bit more of a stabilisation in terms of depreciation over the time. But you're right, I think uh, that there will be a number of customers that will just have to walk away from what they were driving and then downsize themselves into something that is, if they want to stay with an EV or a hybrid vehicle, they're going to have to downsize themselves to, to make sure their monthly payment stays the same, because who at the moment is in their, in their right mind uh, is in a position um, where they're going to be able to to say I'm going to spend an extra 200 pound a month on a car. Uh, I don't think many people are. We've got this uh, this freight train running towards everybody with uh, fixed rate mortgages that are uh, are going to you know they're coming towards the wall. Um, I'm not sure people really have appreciated the impact of that yet. And I think they they will very soon, um, that, and that's a great shame. So um, so maybe the outcome of this is that people have to downsize their their vehicles to to maintain pay and keep themselves in a new car but um yeah it is um it's a really painful position and i feel very much for uh those uh, uh finance uh, uh, companies and lenders that have lent based on um future residual value i, I think that there are there are there are two different sets of people that are in that position there are some that were very very cagey right from the word go and didn't put too many evs on uh, ev and hybrid vehicles on risk um and uh, there are some that were very very bullish and they're the guys that are going to feel the pain yeah i was going to say i mean do they you, you've obviously worked on the other side of the fence where these sort of companies have taken those those residual values or for th those 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 predictions from from companies like, that, such as the ones you worked with in the past. Mm. It must be incredibly awkward to have those conversations with with those people that took those values that wrote that finance who are now staring at staring at big big losses because no yeah. one saw this coming really, did they? I mean that yeah, that big drop just in October last year sort of came yeah. out came out of nowhere and then just yeah. absolutely accelerated. 
Yeah, it did. Um, and you're right, people didn't see it. There were a number of uh, of businesses that, that I'm aware of that were very cagey about their future residual values and were careful with it. Um, and then there are people that are in this, there are businesses that are in a situation where they have a good mix of products. So they've got ice um, uh, and they've got uh, a proportion of EV. And therefore, for a period of time, as we roll through this problem, um, they'll be able, able to cover the losses on, on the EV vehicles with what they're able to make on on ice cars um but uh yeah it's a painful place for those guys to be uh but it is unfortunately it's a process that's just going to have to roll through um and we'll come out the other side we always do yeah that's just it's still very very painful to what in the process isn't it yeah it is yeah um that was your story john wasn't it it was it was, it was. uh enjoyed it though thank you um thank you. i'm gonna move on to my last one because you've stolen a couple of mine including that one um and that is um james bachelor uh, of this podcast his highlights of the uh, munich motor show uh so him and a couple of others from our from our team went across to munich for that motor show it's taken the place of the what traditionally was the frankfurt motor show it's now now in munich and um just chatting to them um since they came back they both said it was incredibly strange show mm. uh, they said it was very very small felt a bit more like a bit more like a trade show and and what was interesting is just the way that the brands had were, were, were showing off their their products i mean if you rewind the clock back to frankfurt um, you've been to that show john haven't you and i've, I've mm. been many times it was yeah, my legs still hurt in fact it, it, horrendous wasn't it? it was absolutely gigantic audi would build this absolute huge um stand in the courtyards with its own bmw would have its own test track running around its its own hall it and it, you're right it, you were walking miles around that show well this one they said by comparison was a was a lot smaller and they said what was really interesting was the Chinese brands that were there and how much they'd thrown at the, uh, at the show and their, their stands. And um, Jack Evans um, from, from our team who went across said he, he couldn't believe that, that some of the Chinese brands had bigger stands than Mercedes, you know, on their home turf, Ch the Chinese brands really come in and, and were showing off their, their products in a much bigger style than, than some of these traditional manufacturers. But there was some interesting stuff launched, wasn't there? Um, the BMW new class, which is the was effectively going to be the the next uh, three series, was was interesting. I can't tell you whether I like it or not. It's kind of it was a slight box, very strange boxy shape, but a big departure from their um, from their designs at the, at the moment. I quite like the fact it was quite bold and uh, and and different. And from from the people there that spoke to the spoke to the manufacturer, apparently it is what the what the next three series is going to look like so that would be interesting to see how that one plays out but my car of um of the show really is that, and the one that really caught my attention was this volkswagen id gti concept still got the id name in there um but it was the way that they're moving back to the gti brand uh for the next golf and i just thought this this new model looked absolutely fantastic apparently it's going to be look very similar to that when it comes out in 2027 um, and Batch says he, he he said it was absolutely stunning, and I, I'm, I have to agree with him. It did look did look really good. And I just just lastly on this, I I thought it was interesting that Tesla with their new Model Three was tucked away in the corner in a very dull in a very dull color. Um, but what is one of the one has been one of the best selling cars for the last few years. Um, tucked away on a small small stand, but was probably the biggest launch of the show because when it comes to comes to new cars, the new Model Three is very important. Can't quite tell you how they've changed it. It looks very similar to the last one, mm. uh, 
but apparently he's got a longer range, can now do 425 miles on a charge, which is quite impressive. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see the kind of motor shows coming back. They were killed off by COVID, weren't they? Um, Geneva Motor Show still not still not back properly in Geneva, but being held in Doha. Yeah, Qatar, yeah, yeah. Um, Very easy to get to from Geneva, Qatar. Of course, of course, yeah. But yeah, nice to see Motor Show coming out and nice to see the fact that it generates lots of news stories, as we've, as we've seen on this podcast. What do you mm-hmm. think, John? Anything caught your eye in Munich? Uh, I, I have to say, I didn't pay too much attention to this, apart from the Volkswagen news, because that's all I cared about this week, apparently. Um, but it's interesting interesting about the Chinese sort of stuff. In a way, not surprising that they've really thrown lots of money at it, because on the one hand, as you say, this is a smaller show than Frankfurt was. And I think you say it's nice nice that motor shows are back, which sort of are in places occasionally. But uh, the really throwing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds, well, millions really, at these sorts of things, I think manufacturers have stopped bothering because it's an enormous, well, just said, it's an enormous amount of money they have to spend on things like, um, as you said, um, Audi would have, well, any German brand at a German motor show would have an entire hall to themselves, wouldn't they? Yes. Often not really doesn't really feel like there's any point in them doing it because really what what is a motor show there for a motor show um well it's debatable what a motor show is there for but one of the things is to launch new products and when you walk into the mercedes hall the size of wembley or something um you'd find every single mercedes that's ever been sold in the last 12 months there but most of them aren't new you know that's it's an enormous expenditure to basically have a big showroom in the middle of Frankfurt for two weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I can see them scaling down. I can see the Chinese are desperate to be taken seriously and will throw lots of money at the thing because this, this is one thing the Chinese auto industry has. It's lots of money. Yes. And ambition. Whether, whether any of them are remotely memorable, these particular cars, I mean, I'm looking at a photo of something called a Ceres, um, which I, oh, it's fine. I don't think it's. I don't think anyone's going to come away particularly enamoured with half of the Chinese things there. I think there are some interesting products, but there we are. Um, yes, and on the ID, I think it's interesting to talk about the ID too, as we have already, talking about um, how VW transitions ID back into regular Polo and Golf and whatever. When you look at the ID two you can sort of see how they're going to do it actually because whenever when the id2 concept was revealed there was a sort of collective yawn from the motoring press in mm. that it just looks a bit like a polo uh with some slightly snazzier kind of shapes and accents to it so i can see there's i can see there's some convergence there and this does look like a polo gti this particular id2 gti yeah Nice. Why well, I'm for one, and pleased to see motor shows back. Mm. I, I agree with you. Um, I think um, we are perhaps underestimating the impact that the Chinese brands are going to have. Mm. They do have a lot of money. They're coming. They're coming for our market. They're coming to bring vehicles in quantity into the UK. Um, and I think we all need to be a little bit um, a little bit wary of it because from what I can see, well, some of the product may not be quite the same quality. And as you said, you know, you, John, you're looking at, at a particular vehicle and it was a bit meh. Um, some of them don't look bad at all. Um, mm. and- they're going to be cost effective. I mean, I was looking at uh, at the, um, the the some of the BYD products and the yes. range we've got. Yep. And- 
pricing they've got. Um, this is this is going to this could be quite a problem for some of the um, uh, the manufacturers in the for, for the UK. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, looking at that BMW class, which I did look up just briefly, I don't I don't mind the look of that. Um, mm. that pretty okay i think probably the best car looking car for me that i saw there was um the uh cooper what do they call it i'm just looking at it now what's the new cooper the dark rebel magnum ice cream flavor yeah <laughs> yeah um, i thought that looked rather good though um but um yeah really pleased to see, see shows coming back i think it's an important part it's a good way of seeing uh, a lot of vehicles in the same place but equally you don't need something as big as frankfurt otherwise you just need a, a scooter to get around really don't you yeah well, that mm. would be a good idea i'll tell you my my final anecdote on this particular thing is yeah i'm sure you remember this james when you would go to a motor show five years ago even on the press day what would who would be around all the German and European other European oh, cars? Yeah, well, it would yeah. be lots of people from China with tape measures, yeah, under every single bit, measuring every single part, and they would be shooed away half the time by people. But this is a dramatic U turn in five years, isn't it? I mean, maybe they are still going around measuring, uh, you know, <laughs> they were so blatant about it though, weren't they? It was oh. just like, I mean, I remember going on to one stand, there was a guy like literally like underneath the car, on yeah. His, on his back with a t with a tape measure, like measuring the exhaust. I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm stepping over him to go and interview their chief executive. <laughs> then we know this guy's here. <laughs> I know. I think Thomas Schaefer or whatever he's called should hop along to the uh, BYD stand and start, you know, looking at the panel <laughs> gaps of the new Atto three. Yeah, just to balance it out. Well, John, I'm out of stories now. I'm afraid. Um, can I squeeze one more in? I will squeeze in a, a good news story at the end, which is Stellantis Ellesmere Port, which, of course, was home of the Vauxhall Astra for many years, um, has reopened uh, after a bit of a refit as now a, well, it's the first all-electric, they say, dedicated EV manufacturing plant in the UK. So the only cars that will come out of this plant are electric. So they are, well, there's a plethora of identical um, Stellantis vans. There's the... Vauxhall Combo E, the Peugeot Partner E, the Citroen Berlingo E, and the Fiat Doblo E, yeah. uh, and of course sometimes they're um, passenger equivalents, but they're all van shaped. But that's an entire factory in the UK producing only electric cars, and quite a big one at that. So it, I think this, uh, yes, or is that picture of their their uh, vans outside the port? created by ai because that does not look like it's an actual sign that has been it, started I, yeah i think there's an element of photoshop has occurred there i think so <laughs> i just like to say i like you say outside the port is that your new abbreviation for ellesmere port manufacturing plant the port <laughs> yeah, the, the port yeah it's just it's what us locals call it like the gosport yeah got yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway i thought that was quite interesting and also it's the uh well it's the first place that citroen technically have made a car in the uk since 19 whatever it is 1960 something when they were making cars in slough so yeah nice to see some investment in the uk as well 100 million 100 mm. million pound investment and um and nice to see ellesmere paul building stuff and, and uh, still got still goes life after the astra mm. life after astra yeah <laughs> There is such a thing. <laughs> Rupert, any, any thoughts on that? 
Um, not really, other than it is nice to see that investment and it's nice to see Ellesmere Port come back on online. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's that's all I want to say on that. I mean, that's it's nice to see uh, there's some money coming into the UK and interesting that it's the first Citroen built in the UK. Mm. Yeah. And probably the first Peugeot, well, I should say the first, the first Citroen passenger vehicle, I think, if they're making the normal Bolingo, because, of course, they've been making the vans in Luton for quite some time, I think. Well, it's very complicated um so i think that's the end of our stories isn't it so I'm out. Yep. um rupert are there any stories you think we have missed this week oh gosh i'd forgotten you were going to ask me that um <laughs> no, i don't i don't think so given I, I haven't been i've not been in in work all week this week i've I've been trying to catch up, but um, no. So I don't think you've missed anything. Uh, as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to think, oh, I should have mentioned that. Um, <laughs> no. um, so I guess it's, it, is it time for me to make a decision here? It is. is. It is. I do a drum roll. So, okay. So I'm just, just looking at the post here. I don't see any bribery from you. Sorry. At all. Sorry. No, you didn't come through this time, James? No, I've been let down by the uh, Royal Mail. <laughs> so I think last time, um, I was on this show. I gave the win to James. For me, I've got two uh, that I really enjoyed, two two stories that I really enjoyed. Uh, and that was the talking about the top 20 depreciators. That was that came from John. Uh, and also just the, that discussion we have around we had around the um, uh, the, the Munich show, actually, uh, and the new vehicles in the Munich show. Not to say the other stories weren't particularly good. So slightly hard decision for me because I do want to be invited back on the show, but I'm afraid I'm going to give it to John um, because uh, I found, because of my background, I found that this, that, that whole discussion we had around values and uh, and uh, what's going to happen to be uh, particularly interesting. So I'm afraid the win goes to John. It's fine. You don't have to justify it. It's fine. <laughs> I, I want to come back on the show, James. You're allowed. You're allowed. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, and well done. Well done, John. Again. Thank you. I mean, I left the door open for you, James. You could have had that story. I know. Must try harder. Must try harder. But there we are. Well, thank you, Rupert, for that win, uh, as ever. And thank you for coming on and judging today. It's been great to have you on. And you. Uh, best of luck with one auto api because that doesn't look like a fantastic idea i say as a slight software developer that would say uh, a hell of a lot of time <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's designed for simplicity saving time and just giving access to lots of different data so but listen it's been great to be on here again it's lovely to see you guys again um and uh, always happy to come back if uh, james will have me now we definitely will thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys don't worry, he's got a very short memory. And thank you as well to James for competing. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. So make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories we mentioned today, click the links below or head to carlydealermagazine.co.uk where you'll find much, much more news besides. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye.